Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Westbridge Church. My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to say hello to everybody joining us in our parent viewing areas. Great option if you have small children that you prefer to keep with you during the service. I want to say hello to those of you joining us on our online campus and and our microsite. Uh, awesome to have you guys. Welcome. Uh, we are continuing a series through First Peter simply called Identity. But before we jump into that this morning, I want to make you aware of something that's coming up in several weeks from now, uh, just before Thanksgiving, at the end of this series um, called Our Legacy Offering. Now, what that is is this. Uh, we have something called the, the Legacy uh, Project that we do uh, every year. We started this actually in 2020. So when I say every year, this is our second year. And um, the idea behind this is that we would take money that comes in on a consistent basis and that we would send it out to global partners that we could make a difference around the world. And that what's happening here uh, at Westbridge Church wouldn't just be something that takes place here in our community, but that we would be able to make a difference uh, in our community locally and globally. And so what we've done is we've said we want to partner with uh, organizations around the world, and we've got some global partners, and we've sent teams to these global partners, and uh, we want to give them money consistently every month. And so we take 10% of everything that comes into Westbridge Church, and we give it away every month. And we say, hey, use this for the work that you're doing around the world. And so if you've ever wondered, like, how can I uh, support missions? How can I support uh, God's word and, 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 and God's message and uh, kingdom expansion around the world, every time you give to Westbridge, you support global missions. We give 10% of everything that comes in away. And then on top of that, we do something every year just called the legacy offering. And we, we've been doing this side of things for many years. Uh, and this is something that we do that we say we want to give above and beyond our regular giving. And we want to take that money and we want to give it away to local things, to global projects. These aren't ongoing things, but they're just projects. So uh, things like uh, digging a well in a community somewhere, uh, things like local uh, community initiatives that we can get behind and that needs our support, not where we're starting something new, but something that's good and already going that we can go, look, we want to get behind you and support you, and here's some finances to help you move forward. And so uh, we do that every year. That's coming up on November 21st. So here's what I'm asking you to do, and this is why I'm talking about it today, is that uh, you would take some time over the next several weeks, it's about six weeks from now, and uh, that you take some time, actually it's about four weeks from now, and uh, just pray about what God would have you to give. Uh, pray about what God would have you to do above and beyond our regular giving just to say, look, outside of what I regularly give, I want to give a little bit of extra towards this legacy, uh, this legacy offering. And then we're going to take all of that that comes in and we're going to give it away and fund initiatives and projects here in our community and around the world. And so that's coming up November 21st. Begin to consider, begin to pray, what could God, what, what might God be speaking to me to give and to do uh, as a part of that? And my hope and my prayer is that as all of us participate in that in some level, that uh, we would continue to leave a legacy that would outlive our lives, that one day when those of us sitting in this room breathe our last and, you know, turn the church over and it's the next generation, that the things that are uh, taking place around the world would be stories of continual life change, that God's kingdom continues to move forward because of the investments that we made during our lifetime. So uh, that's coming up November 21st, and you'll hear more about that in the coming weeks. Now, uh, today, we're continuing our journey through this letter of 1 Peter. This is a, a letter that Peter writes to a group of people living in the first century. They're scattered across the northern provinces of the Roman Empire in Europe, and uh, they're doing their best to follow Jesus in the midst of intense persecution. And so now I want you today, to, just for a moment, to imagine that we are in their shoes. 
I want you to imagine just for a moment that we have gathered here together, that we are uh, living in the first century, that we are followers of Jesus, that we've kind of uh, found out that Peter has written a letter and we know Peter, we've heard about Peter, and he's written to encourage us to continue to live and follow the way of Jesus. And imagine that this is us and we're maybe separated from our extended family because of this intense persecution. We've been scattered a little bit, but we have found a living hope in Jesus. And we have found support in the body of Christ as we gather together. And the news has started to spread that this guy, Peter, who everybody knows about, it's one of Jesus' followers, has written a letter. And so we've gathered together and we've gotten our, you know, our church coffee and donuts and we're sitting, we've parked our camels far away so the authorities don't know that we've gathered. And uh, he starts this whole letter. And we've been through this over the last few weeks. He starts this whole letter and we read that he starts off saying, you've got a living hope that the hope that you have isn't something that's rooted in the circumstances around you, but the hope that you have is in a someone and not in a something. And that you have hope that comes from something outside of your circumstances. So don't look to your circumstances to find hope and to find peace. Look to the one who has overcome death. Look to the one who is alive. And so that's this incredible promise that we have. And Jesus himself said, I am the resurrection and the life. If you come to me, uh, though your body will die, you'll live forever. And so Peter's reminding them, he's saying, look, you have this living hope. So, so as, as bleak as your circumstances might seem, your hope is found in Jesus. And then he says this next thing, he continues, he says, we can be holy because God is holy, but not because of anything we've done. It's because of the work that Jesus has already done. And we're working to become like him as we live out that identity. And then last week we said that we have this reminder. He reminds us that we have direct access to God. He calls us royal priests, God's special possession. And as priests, we have direct access to God. We have direct access to the scriptures. We don't need a mediator to go between us and God. But every one of us are priests that we can actually uh, encourage each other, pray for each other, minister to each other, that we have not only that incredible privilege, but that responsibility. And he uses this literary style that's very repetitive. And so you'll see this cycling through this message. He says, here's what God has done for you. And so now this is who you are. So live like it. Here's what God has done for you. He's, he's purchased your freedom. So now you're a part of God's family. So now live like it. Here's what God's done for you. He paid this ransom. Now this is your identity. So now live that out. And as we move into this next chapter, we're going to camp out in the next few chapters of uh, chapter uh, two today, the next few verses. Peter starts to drill down on some things that really affect us as a group of people. Who, and it really affects uh, a group of people that are enduring persecution. But what we're going to find is it's incredibly relevant for us today as well. And as we read it, it might not be what we want to hear, but I do think it's what we need to hear. And so he gives us this reminder that our responses to different things matter. In fact, here's what he says first. Our identity determines our response to criticism. Who we are should determine how we respond to people who criticize us. Because of who we are, we respond differently. So he's been telling us over and over, this is who you are, so now this is how you live. And once again, he's leaning into this idea that who we are determines how we live. We have an identity, so it should affect our behavior. A little over uh, seven years ago, we brought Liam into our family. He, is, uh, he turned seven this last summer. And when I say we, I know very much that it was all my wife. So when I say we brought a child into the family, I mean, I did my part, but you know, it was all her. And uh, for the last seven years, We've been teaching him how to be a part of this family, right? And so when he was born, it, he instantly is a Curran. He's, he, that's his identity. 
He came with that. He didn't have to do anything to earn it. He's a current because of who he belongs to. That was given to him automatically. And it was free to him, even though it didn't come without cost. Again, mostly on my wife's part, not my part. And uh, the fact is that even though he's a current, the last seven years, we're trying to show him what it looks like to live out that identity. To, to be a current. This is how our family operates. This is how we respond to things, right? These other three uh, individuals that came ahead of you are not your enemy. Uh, that kind of thing. And so we're teaching him this is, this is who you are. And so this is how we live. This is your identity. So this is how we operate. This is how this family operates. And even though he has an identity, he's learning what it means to live that out. And as a side note, just as a, you know, a, a parenting kind of tip, it's our goal as parents that each of our kids ultimately discover that their identity is not first and foremost as currents, but that their identity is as sons and daughters of God. That they, would, that they would come to see themselves as a part of God's family. These, these are two big goals that we have with our kids, that they would see themselves, their true identity as a part of God's family. And our second goal is that they would want to hang out with us when they don't have to. That's it. If we can do those two things, then we're like, we're nailing this parenting thing. So uh, Peter's reminding them their identity has already been established. This is who you are. You've already been, this is who you belong to. So you already have that. And so then this is how we're to live in light of that reality. And so in chapter two, he writes this, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. There are a couple of things in these verses that are really important for us to remember. First, Peter once again uses this language to help us maintain this idea about who we are. He says, you are temporary residents. You are foreigners. This world that you live in is not actually where you belong. And one of my uh, favorite bands is a band called Switchfoot. Uh, one of my favorite songs that Switchfoot has ever written is this song called Where I Belong. And in this, there's this incredible line uh, where the lead singer sings this, I'm not sentimental. This skin and bones is a rental. And I love that concept. He says, this skin and bones is a rental. I'm a temporary resident. I'm a, I'm a foreigner here in this world. And I think that perfectly captures the spirit of what Peter is writing. He's saying, you're citizens of heaven. And as citizens of heaven, you behave differently. As citizens of heaven, you live differently, which means as citizens of heaven, we respond differently. We respond differently when people criticize us. And because you live differently, people are probably going to criticize you. I can't tell you how many times we, I've received phone calls from people and I've talked to people and, and they criticize things that we do as a church or things that we do because we just operate differently. It's not the way society tends to work. And we don't talk about this in church very often, but Christianity has always had a bad reputation. If you think about it, it's always had a bad reputation. It's gotten a, a bad rap by society and television and social media. It's an easy target in movies and television shows and, uh, for as long as I've been alive. And by the way, it got a bad rap in the first century as well. It, 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 they were, Christians were blamed for burning down Rome, and uh, they got a bad rap there. In fact, Jesus got a bad rap. Jesus had a bad reputation. Listen to what Jesus said to his disciples the night he was arrested. This isn't on your outline, but Jesus says this. If the world hates you, remember, it hated me first. He's like, guys, you know, if you're going to Jesus complaining like, ah, oh, man, I'm getting criticized for being a Christian. Jesus is like, yeah, I know. Same. 
If the world hates you, remember, it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Jesus is like, why, why are you so shocked by this? Why are you so surprised when people criticize you because you're living your life differently? Why does this shock you? He goes, they, they hated me, they're going to hate you. They criticize me, they're going to criticize you because you live differently. And when you live differently, it causes people to feel a certain way about themselves. And one of the natural reactions to that is to lash out at you. And it, if there's constructive criticism, okay, wisdom would suggest that you find the truth in that and that you change things that need to be changed. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. And the criticism Peter is talking about is people who look at your way of living your life that's different from the way that society tends to operate and they recognize it's different because you serve a different king, because you're a part of a different kingdom, because you are a temporary resident and a foreigner in this world, and you're living differently. And oftentimes, it makes people feel a certain way about themselves. And it causes them to want to lash out at Christianity or lash out at Christians in general. Uh, kind of the, the, the most modern sort of target, and, and maybe rightfully so, is the term evangelicalism. I got a call last week from someone who said, are you guys evangelical? And I was just like, man, I don't even know how to answer that because that means so many different things to so many different people. So I just said, you know, we follow Jesus. <laughs> I was like, that's all I can answer. But it becomes an easy target. And people just go, well, we're going we're gonna, to, I'm done with evangelicalism. I'm like, okay, whatever that means to whatever different people. But it's, it's an easy target. And Peter is reminding us that we live differently, and when we live differently, we will probably get treated differently. Don't be surprised. You're temporary residents and foreigners, and sometimes that makes people uncomfortable. But here's what we have to remember as citizens of heaven. And you've got three fast fill-in-the-blanks here. I want to give these to you. This is super important. It's not about us. It's about God. It's not about here. It's about there. It's not about now. It's about later. It's not about us. It's about God. It's not about here. It's about there. It's not about now. It's about later. And as citizens of heaven, this should be the lens through which we view all of our responses. Not what will help me, but how will my response point people to him? Not what will serve me the best here and now, but what, what will my response do to point people toward eternity? toward that day when they could be a part of God's family. And not what will work out for me. Peter's saying if our responses are all about solving our issues for ourselves here and now, or even defending our reputation here and now, then we may have missed the memo about where our citizenship is actually found. And there is a way, in fact, to respond to criticism that causes people to take notice and to say, man, I thought Christianity was all about fill in the blank. I thought Christians were all dot, dot, dot. I thought they were all judgmental. I thought they were all this, that, and the other thing. But there's this one guy I work with, and he is not like that at all, and he's a Christian. There, there's this one woman that, uh, that uh, you know, I, I, we're neighbors with, and she doesn't behave that way at all. I mean, she is, she's great. You know, there's this person that I know, and they don't behave like that at all. I mean, they're a Christian, but they don't, they don't seem to possess those same things that I always thought Christianity was all about. In fact... With that as the lens through which we respond to criticism, Peter gives us a few more examples of how we are to respond in different situations because of our identity, because of who we are, our response matters. And so he says, your identity, it's going to determine the way you respond to criticism. But secondly, our identity determines our response to authority. And this is huge. 
Listen to what Peter writes next. And I think it's absolutely fascinating that this was written 2,000 years ago and how completely relevant these verses are in the times that we live in today. Peter directly addresses the politics of their day. And in doing so, he addresses the political climate of our day as well. Listen to what he says. For the Lord's sake, and I would encourage you, if you're taking notes, circle that phrase on your outline. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority. Why? Because they deserve it? No. Peter's not saying, hey, you submit because human authority deserves it. He's saying, for the Lord's sake. You do it because of your citizenship as a part of God's kingdom. Submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. And once again, Peter starts by viewing this topic through this lens. It's not about us. It's about God. It's not about uh, here. It's about there. It's not about now. It's about later. That's the lens through which we view all of our responses. And so as followers of Jesus, we are to submit to all human authority. Again, not because they deserve it, but because our response points people to Jesus. The way we respond to human authority, even when it's human authority that we don't agree with or that we didn't vote for, the way we respond to human authority says a lot about our response to God's authority in our lives. And that makes a difference. That points people to Jesus. And so again, when, we re- when we're thinking about the political climate of our day, what will make Jesus known? What will make people see Jesus more clearly in our responses? So let me ask you a couple of uncomfortable questions. In your politics, in your social media posts, in your conversations about what's going on in our nation, are you doing it for the Lord's sake? Are you viewing it with that in mind through the lens of, man, this isn't about us, it's about him. This isn't about now, it's about later. It's not about here, it's about there. Is the driving goal of your conversations around politics to advance God's kingdom and God's agenda and God's message? Or, like, are you responding as citizens of heaven who have a living hope in eternity? Or are you responding as if your hope is found in uh, a, a social movement or a political party? It's a sobering thought to think about. And Peter reminds us, God establishes governments with a a specific goal in mind of bringing order. He says the, the officials are sent to bring justice and to honor those who do right and to bring justice to those who do wrong. And just because governments don't always follow those mandates the way that you'd like, it does not give us permission as followers of Jesus and as citizens of heaven to abandon our mandate and how we respond. That's critical. What if human authority is forcing me to do something that goes against the scriptures? That's a big question. There are multiple times throughout the New Testament that Peter and Paul and the followers of Jesus are told by governing authorities not to tell others about Jesus, not to spread this message of Jesus and the way of Jesus. And their response always was, we must obey God rather than you. But never were they disrespectful. They respectfully push back. And if human authority is forcing you to do something that goes against God's commands, then you respectfully push back and then you accept the consequences. You respectfully push back and you accept the consequences. That doesn't mean you don't have means to stand your ground, but you do it respectfully. And you do it within the system of governance that's set up and remembering that our responses should point other people to Jesus. And then you live with the consequences. 
In the book of Daniel, you can read about uh, Daniel. And Daniel is a guy who was uh, captured. He's brought to the, the nation of Babylon. He's serving the king. And very much he's in a, a, a situation where he's a foreigner. He's literally a foreigner. He's a temporary resident. And uh, it really mirrors how we are to view our lives today, that he's living in Babylon, but he's a Jewish, uh, you know, he, he serves God. He's a Jewish man living in a foreign area. And in many ways, it kind of parallels the way Peter is describing the way that we live, that we are temporary residents and foreigners, that this isn't where we belong, but it is where we find ourselves. It's where Daniel lived out his entire life. And it was there that he's serving the king, and he would pray three times a day. He would pray to God. And this wasn't a secret. But there were some who wanted to get back at him, and they created a law and brought it before the king and said, if anybody prays to anyone besides you, then they should be thrown into the den of lions. And without thinking, the, the king who actually liked Daniel, as far as we can tell, and from all of the, the, the scriptures and from the book of Daniel and all the writings, is without thinking, signed this law, uh, signed this uh, basically decree into law. And then realized, oh, Daniel is going to face the consequences of this. And so Daniel respectfully pushes back. He doesn't stop praying. He continues to pray. He doesn't try to make a big spectacle of it. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't you know, do a, a big banner and say, here I am, I'm praying, but he just continued to pray. And when he was caught, he accepted the consequences. He respectfully pushed back, and then he accepted the consequences. And he was thrown into the lion's den. And then we read this incredible story in Daniel how God actually sends an angel and shuts the mouths of the lion. And sometimes I think we're tempted to read that and go, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, if I knew God was just going to shut the mouths of the lion, sure, I would just, you know. But Daniel had no knowledge that God was going to do that. And in fact, in his mind, it's, okay, this is how I go. I'm going to be lion's lunch, you know. That's it. This is, this is how I go. And so he goes into the lion's den fully aware. I respectfully push back. I'm going to continue to pray to God. I'm going to continue to do what I believe is the right thing for me to do, and I will accept whatever consequences you send my way. And it's fascinating. God does rescue him. But Daniel certainly didn't have that as a guarantee. He had no foreknowledge of that. He just did what he knew to be right and accepted what the king was going to do to him because he knew who he belonged to. He knew what his identity was, and it shaped his response to authority. And Peter is reminding us of the same thing. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who are followers of Jesus, who are Christians, who just bash, 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 President Trump. And at the same time, people I talk to who are Christians who bash, 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 bash President Biden. And the, the reality is this. There are, unfortunately, we've spent too much time viewing God's kingdom through the lens of our political view. And what we've done for, for so many followers of Jesus is we've put, our, we've put our political glasses ahead of our Jesus glasses, and we're viewing Christianity through the lens of a political ideology. And what Peter is saying is, look, we need to put our Jesus glasses on before we put on our political glasses. It doesn't mean you can't have a political view. It doesn't mean that you can't have an opinion. It doesn't mean you shouldn't vote your conscience. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be involved in politics. It means you put the Jesus view and you look through that lens and let it inform your political view. You don't allow your political view or agenda or ideology to shape your Jesus view. And unfortunately, in, uh, in, throughout the modern Christianity, we've put the political lens ahead of the Jesus lens, and it always leads to trouble for the church. That isn't our mission. We've got to put the Jesus glasses first. We view our politics through the lens of God's kingdom because it isn't about us. It's about him. 
And it isn't about here. It's about there. It's not about now. It's about later. And so our identity determines how we respond to human authority. Now, here's the third thing. Our identity, who we are, determines our response to adversity. This is another big thing that Peter talks about. He says, here's what God's done for you. This is who you are. So now this is how you live. And Peter continues in this next verse by reminding us that we have a responsibility as citizens of heaven to respond with eternity in mind when we face adversity, when we face hardship. And adversity is basically when someone or something is set against you. When someone or something is set against you, this clearly takes on different meanings in different cultures. But in our world today, you may be experiencing adversity uh, in your workplace, uh, in your marriage, uh, in your relationship with your kids, or even from a specific situation that you're facing. And Peter is reminding us, once again, we are citizens of heaven, and this is how we respond. So he continues in the next verses. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, and respect the king. Now, uh, a couple of things to note here. He says, you're free, but now you're God's slaves. Like, he, he purchased your freedom, so now you belong to him, and he is a benevolent master. And then he says, respect everyone, and that's, uh, that's actually uh, originally written in Greek, so if you interpret that, it actually means everyone which is helpful to know. Everyone. Respect everyone. And remember, Christians are facing a lot of adversity in this culture. They've been accused of burning down Rome. They're facing all kinds of uh, religious hostility from religious leaders and from the Roman Empire, persecution. And Peter reminds them, it's going to be very tempting to take matters into your own hands. It's going to be very tempting to get back at people. It's going to be very tempting to fight against people and, and, and try to defend yourselves. But as citizens of heaven, again, he's reminding us it's not about us, it's about God. It's not about here, it's about there. It's not about now, it's about later. Why spend your time and energy and focus and resources fighting against people in a temporary setting when your skin and bones is a rental? Why spend all of your time fighting to defend yourself rather than pointing people to Jesus? And when somebody seems to be set against you, our objective as followers of Jesus is not to win against them. It's to win them over. That's how we respond as citizens of heaven. And by the way, it's exactly what Jesus did for us. When it seemed that our hearts were set against him, he didn't try to win against us, but rather he gave his life to win us over. He sacrificed to win our hearts. And the command from Jesus is, love your enemies and pray for those who stand against you. And he says this, and this is kind of a, a famous verse in one of Jesus' famous teachings. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, do good to those who despise you. But there's this second verse right behind that that often never gets quoted. And he says this, in this way, like when you behave like that, when you respond to people who are set against you in such a way that you love your enemies, that you pray for those who persecute you, that you actually do good to those who despise you, in that way, you are behaving as true children of your Father in heaven. He says, when you do that, it's like, it's like you realize, ah, oh, this is who I am, so this is how I respond. Oh, I'm a child of this family. This is how this family and this kingdom operates, so this is how I'll respond. Jesus says that's when you've got it. That's when you've got it locked in. Oh, this is, this is my identity, is when you can actually treat well, pray for, do good for people who you would deem as your enemies, people who persecute you, people who despise you. 
That's how we respond. And so who we are determines how we respond to adversity. And finally, number four, our identity determines our response to suffering, even to suffering. Now, let me draw a distinction between adversity and suffering because adversity uh, oftentimes means someone or something is set against you, but suffering is often uh, what we experience as a result. And so suffering can sometimes be the result of adversity, but not always. Sometimes suffering is the result of an ongoing season of pain or difficulty because of a variety of circumstances in our lives. Maybe you're experiencing suffering in your physical body. Maybe you're experiencing suffering in your mental health. Maybe you're suffering financially. Maybe you're suffering from grief or loss or depression or rejection or workplace tension or a number of different issues. And Peter comes out of addressing our response to authority and he talks to a group of people who are experiencing suffering, those living in slavery. Now, it's very important to note that their version of slavery is not the same as what we think about today. In, in the history of the United States, when we think about slavery, we think about a, a slavery in our history that is racially driven and uh, it's, it's based on this idea that some races have less dignity and value than others and it's completely wrong. You don't find this anywhere in the scriptures. Now, Paul is addressing a people who are living in slavery, which is equally as wrong, but it isn't racially based. It's uh, people who have been uh, either captured uh, by the Roman Empire and brought in and they're workers, or people who have uh, a debt to pay, and so they become an indentured servant to pay off a debt. And so these are people that are living in slavery. And you have to see uh, that there's no unions. There's, uh, people could treat their slaves however they wanted to. They could beat them. They could do whatever they want. And there's nothing said that could be done against them according to the law. And so Peter's addressing suffering in a very real and tangible way. It's people who are living a, a rough life of slavery. And he says this, You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. For God is pleased when conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being beaten, for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. Now, what is he saying? Let's sort of walk through this together. Submitting does not mean that you abandon legal means. He's not suggesting that at all. In fact, throughout the scriptures, wherever legal means are available to people to get out of slavery, they're encouraged to get out of slavery. It's encouraged. Also, blind submission is not, uh, you have to stay in an abusive situation. I want to be really clear about that. That's not what Peter is advocating here at all. If you're in an abusive situation or relationship, do everything you can to get out and to get safe. You need to hear that. Peter is talking to a group of people who are experiencing suffering and they cannot change it. There is nothing they can do about it. They are powerless to do anything with it. And in that instance, as citizens of heaven with a living hope, what should our response be? When suffering is a part of the landscape of our life and there's nothing we can do to change it. And Peter says, here's the lens. It's not about us, it's about him. It's not about us, it's about God. It's not about here, it's about there. It's not about now, it's about later. And when you find yourself stuck in suffering, change it if you can. If you can't change it, then you go back to the anchor of hope that you have in Jesus. And you patiently endure suffering, remembering Jesus did the same. He endured suffering. And that's not an emotionally satisfying answer. But Peter is reminding us, he's reminding his listeners that God is pleased not by suffering itself, 
but when we endure suffering well and point other people to Jesus in the process. He reminds us Jesus is our example and we are to follow in his steps. Now, as followers of Jesus, this does not mean that you should go after suffering and chase down suffering. There's plenty of suffering in the world to endure without looking for it. And I've heard this from Christians in the past, like, well, if you're not suffering, are you really following Jesus? Yes! I'm not going to go looking for suffering. You're going to experience suffering in this world. Jesus promises that. The question is, how do I respond when suffering is a part of the landscape of my life? And he reminds us, as citizens of heaven, even when we experience suffering, we are to do good to others. Not because they deserve it, but for the Lord's sake, because we are citizens of heaven, and that is how this kingdom operates. Several years ago, we had... um, Uh, a a lady come and we interviewed her. Her name was uh, Mary Johnson. And Mary Johnson uh, had a son named Loramian Bird. And when he was 16 years old, he was shot at a party by a 20-year-old named O'Shea Israel. And maybe some of you were around uh, probably 10 years ago when we had her in and interviewed her. And Mary was just consumed with uh, hatred and uh, unforgiveness for O'Shea Israel who had shot and killed her son. But over time, she realized, this is hurting me. This is hurting me more than anybody. And so she asked if she could visit him in prison. And she went and visited O'Shea Israel in prison. And then she visited him again. And then she visited him again. And she kept visiting him and kept visiting him to the point where her, her heart started to soften towards him. And she started to hear his story. And she started to learn about him and, and started to forgive. And she realized the best way for me to heal is to forgive And forgiveness isn't just to let him off the hook. Forgiveness sets me free from carrying this burden of hatred. And so she forgave. And and when he was up for uh, release, she actually spoke on his behalf. And then when he needed a place to stay, she moved him in to the other half of her duplex. And they lived right next door in the same duplex. And then they would go and share their story. And she looks out for him now. And it's amazing that turnaround, that's how citizens of heaven respond. It's how we respond to suffering. It's how we respond to criticism, how we respond to authority, how we respond uh, to adversity. Why? Because God called you to do good and to represent well the kingdom of heaven as citizens here on earth. And here's a final thought. There is no exception clause. Sorry. Wish there was, right? The temptation for all of us is to look at our story and think that we're the exception. Yeah, but if you knew what I was going through, I mean, if you knew what I had to endure, if if you actually understood the injustices that have been committed against me. But remember, Peter is writing to a group of people living in the first century who are being hunted down by the Roman government. And when they read in this setting, obey all human authority for the Lord's sake, I'm sure half of them spit out their church coffee. I mean, this is, you want us to do what? You're saying to do good even to a master who is harsh and unjust? And Peter says, look, you are citizens of heaven. You are not citizens of earth. Your skin and bones is a rental, right? And here's what God has done for you. So now this is who you are. So now this is how you live. It's not about us. It's about God. It's not about here. It's about there. It's not about now. It's about later. And so maybe this is a wake-up call for some of us. Maybe it's a reminder. Have you been so focused on you in the here and now that you've missed sight of the fact that it's actually about God and there and later? 
And maybe this is kind of a wake-up call. And maybe we need to recalibrate and remind ourselves as citizens of heaven, our response actually matters. Because the way that we respond to criticism and to human authority, the way that we respond to adversity and to suffering actually says a lot about the one that we serve. And it actually points people to Jesus. And maybe you're here, maybe you're watching online and, and you've never said yes to the invitation to be a part of God's family, to be a citizen of heaven. And God created you, God loves you, and God wants to forgive your sins and make you whole and complete and one with him so that you can be a part of God's family. And if you've never said yes to that invitation, I want to invite you to do that as we close in prayer together. Let's pray. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for those times that I have walked away from you, and I thank you that you never walked away from me. And God, I just, I want to say yes to the invitation to be a part of your family. Make me your son, make me your daughter. And then help me to live that identity out. Help me to live out my identity as a part of your kingdom and as a part of your family in the way that I live, in the way that I respond, in the way that I invest my life. May I live as a citizen of heaven. I, I trust you and I, I look forward to eternity. And God, I pray for every single one of us who are followers of Jesus. Those who are doing our best to live as citizens of heaven here on earth. And I pray that you would help us to set our minds on eternity. That we would fix our eyes and fix our minds not on the things that are here directly around us. But God, that we would live with this mentality. Our skin and bones is a rental. And that we would remember it's, it's not about us, it's about you. It's not about here, it's about there. It's not about now, it's about later. And that our responses and the way that we live our lives would point people to you and to your kingdom. We thank you. We pray this in your name.